track. So now, you know, Doug has dug up this uh, compression signature. We're pretty sure this is a, a link set of Lynx tracks that we're on. So the next thing is we want to get an eDNA sample. In the eDNA, it stands for environmental DNA. As it walked through the snow, there are skin cells that it left in the prints as it was walking. And so what we want to try to do is collect some of those skin cells so that we can send them off to the lab and confirm that this is in fact a lynx track and that there's lynx here still in this sample unit. We need to dig down through the fresh snow to get down to the to point uh, here where the, the foot actually was touching the snow and that's the, where we want to sample and fill up our, our sampling bags. eDNA is a new technology. It's been around for a, for a handful of years, only been two or three years, I think, they've been using it in snow. It's pretty cool technology, but it, it only gets us down to the level of species. So there isn't a lot of genetic material to work with, just to, like I say, a few skin cells that are sloughed off in each print. But it can tell us if this is a lynx or not, confirm that it is. We started on the project in 2004, so it's been kind of nice to continue to see lynx tracks at this very moment. It's exciting to be part of the still and exciting that, that the lynx are here. Conservation of a species like lynx is, is pretty complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. How you manage the forest influences what happens with the, the hair world, and what happens in the hair world then influences what happens with lynx. It's such a cool species to work with. Canada lynx is something you see on National Geographic, so when you actually get the opportunity to work on a project like that, it's pretty cool to play any kind of a role, especially you know when it turns out to be a successful program to reestablish a species where it was extirpated and to, and to do it in a way that I think you know most of the folks in our agency and the general public in Colorado is sort of proud of the fact that lynx are back here on the landscape. The December 16th meeting of the Independent Audit Committee to order. And E.D. Thompson, would you be kind enough to take the role? Uh, Jack Blumenthal? Here. Lorraine Mass? Here. Rudy Payan? Here. Charles Scheid? Here. Edward Stoltz? Here. And Arthur O'Brien? Here. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, next item is to approve the November 18th minute, meeting minutes, virtual meeting minutes. Is there a motion? I move that we accept the, uh, the, uh, the minutes from last meeting. Second. Thank you. Uh, any discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? <clears throat> Um, at this point, we're going to have a report briefing on the follow-up audit to the real estate practices uh, portfolio, real estate portfolio practices. 
Uh, Dawn, do you have any opening remarks before we turn it over to the audit team? Um, yes, yes, I do. Thank you, Auditor O'Brien, and good morning, um, audit committee members and our guests. I just want to say a few words before handing it over to Amy and her team. Um, audit follow-up is an important part of the audit process because it allows us to determine if the risks we identified were addressed and informs our risk assessment for future audit planning. So the real estate portfolio practices follow-up results indicate that the city still has some work to do to address the remaining recommendations. Um, however, the pandemic has definitely changed um, as we all experience how the city uses um, its real estate and those changes affect many stakeholder agencies, um, budgets and funding, as well as the Denver residents who use those facilities. So effective real estate management is critical to ensure the city is addressing all current and future real estate needs in the most effective and efficient manner. So with that, I will turn it over to Amy and her team to start the briefing for you. Thank you. Uh, Amy, before you start, if I could make one brief announcement uh, for the viewing public, Today's audit reports can be found at denverauditor.org slash audit services slash audit reports under the tab 2021 audit reports. And the reports are listed chronologically. Okay, Amy, over to you. All righty, thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, along with myself and Don Wiseman, our team consisted of Liana Hureska, lead auditor, June Samadi, Senior Auditor, and Caitlin Casasa, Associate Auditor. Uh, first, I want to start by thanking the Real Estate Division and the partner, Department of Finance for their help uh, you know, during this audit, giving us the information that we needed. So thank you so much. Um, Lisa, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and any, any other members from the Department of Finance before we get started? Sure. Lisa Lumley, I'm the Director of Real Estate. And I'll be honest, I can't see who is on. So I am not sure Brendan Hanlon as the CFO may be on, as well as when Margaret Danuser as the deputy CFO. Good morning, Margaret Danuser, deputy CFO. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much. We'll go ahead and get started. <clears throat> Starting on the highlights page of our follow-up report, the city's real estate division was established by Executive Order 100. The division within the Department of Finance is responsible for managing the city's real estate portfolio through property acquisition and disposition, leases and space planning. The scope of our original audit was to assess the division of real estate's management of the city's real estate portfolio. Continuing on the highlights page of the follow-up report, the audit objective was to determine whether the finance department's real estate division was providing proper oversight of the city's real estate activities, such as acquisitions, dispositions, leases, and space planning. The highlights uh, page of the follow-up report contains uh, highlights from our original audit report in which we identified controls and processes that needed improvement to promote efficient project management of the city's real estate activities as well as consistency and clarity of policies and procedures. We found that the, realist, that the real estate division did not provide adequate project management of real estate activities. Specifically, we found inconsistent documentation and files, no comprehensive real estate portfolio, <laughs> inconsistencies with policies and procedures compared to the city's executive order 100, and a lack of policies and procedures for the processes employees should perform. Real estate also lacked a documented strategic 
vision and the division did not have its own strategic plan or performance measures. And at this time, I'd like to turn it over to June to present finding one. Thank you, Amy. Our first finding is noted on page one of the follow-up report. The real estate division is not properly overseeing the city's real estate portfolio. On page one of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.1 states, the real estate division should develop and implement a centralized tool to monitor space planning projects, including tracking milestones and delays. The original target date for completion was December 31st, 2020. Real estate division staff explained that pandemic related budget constraints in 2020 delayed the implementation of the division space planning software Archivist until funding could be approved in 2021. The division began discussions in March of 2021 with the vendor about the implementation and costs for the software, which were then discussed during the June 2021 Denver City Council meeting where it was approved for purchase. In the meanwhile, division management continues to use the same spreadsheet discussed during the original audit to track and monitor space planning milestones and delays which does not provide a complete overview of the project's timeline for monitoring purposes. Because the division is still relying on an incomplete spreadsheet and has not implemented a sufficient centralized tracking tool to monitor space planning projects, we consider this recommendation not implemented. I would now like to open the floor for discussion of this recommendation. Any questions from the committee? Um, Lisa, any update on the status of implementing the recommendation? I do, and if I may say too, I'd like to thank Amy and the audit team um, for their responsiveness in working with us. I believe that the Division of Real Estate is in a much stronger place for having gone through this process. Not that we love it, but the truth is it really, I, I feel very good about it. Um, we're a relatively small group. We've almost doubled in employees over the last five years. Um, or a period of transition this summer as the previous director of real estate retired at the end of May. Um, as the current director, I do take this audit process very seriously, and I've used it as an opportunity to ensure that we are working towards um, all of the appropriate policies and procedures, having them in place. Um, as we go through this, you'll see that we've actually already implemented um, additional recommendations just since September when we last spoke. So related to Archibus, we are very excited about it. We've been working with tech service over the last couple of months to um, negotiate the contract. The goal is that it will be presented to city council in the beginning of January so that we can start implementing first quarter. Um, we are still using spreadsheets, that is correct, because that is how they will do their data dump um, to load some of the data in Archibus when we get ready. But we are, like I said, very excited because we think that this will definitely help um, address a lot of the questions that were brought up during the audit process. So do you have an implementation date, an estimated implementation date? Well, auditor, there's a couple of dates floating around. There's, there's getting it up, dumping the data. We'll have to verify data then, you know, really going live. And I don't have a hard date yet. That's, those are some of the things we're working through right now with the consultant. But an estimated date? Is... It'll be 2022. I, I just don't 
if it's going to be summer, beginning of summer, end of summer, kind of in that time frame. Okay. Well, that that's a good estimate for me. Thank okay. you. Yep. Uh, Joan, should we continue? Uh, at this time, I will turn it over to Caitlin to present our next recommendation. Thank you, June. I will now read recommendations 1.2 and 1.3 before opening the floor for discussion. Starting on page one of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.2 states the real estate division should coordinate with other agencies that provide additional services for space planning projects to monitor delays. Communication and resolution should be documented for follow-up purposes. While the real estate division disagreed with this recommendation in the original report, we learned during our follow-up work that the division has had some discussions with partner agencies about coordinating space planning projects. In our original audit report, we noted a lack of centralized project management to monitor the progress of projects and the activities of partner agencies, and we learned the same conditions still exist. For example, real estate's project flow document for managing and coordinating projects shows coordination begins with real estate, but when a project involves other partner agencies, the partner agency takes over coordination of the project. As shown on page two, we also found real estate inconsistently communicates with its partner agencies. General services staff told us the lack of early coordination on projects means they cannot sufficiently plan for proper maintenance of city property. General services staff said late involvement in a real estate transaction could result in a lack of funds available to cover extra costs of maintenance that the agency could have planned for with early involvement. Meanwhile, when we spoke to transportation and infrastructure management, we learned real estate's coordination with the department did improve in the past year. And the real estate division is bringing them in to the process earlier to provide perspective on work that may be necessary for a particular space. Consistent communication with all partner agencies would help ensure the city adequately plans the resources necessary for its real estate projects so that projects remain on track and within budget. On page three of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.3 states the real estate division should retain agendas for each interdepartmental real estate committee meetings to track and monitor projects, milestones, and delays. The original target date for completion was January 1st, 2020. The interdepartmental real estate committee meetings are intended to coordinate projects and logistics among multiple entities across the city. We requested a sample of three committee meeting agendas and only received agenda from the last committee meeting in February, 2021. Management said the committee has not held a meeting since February, 2021, because the division has understandably had fewer projects due to pandemic related budget constraints. However, in reviewing a list of transactions provided by the division, we learned while the last acquisition occurred in February, 2021, four dispositions occurred between April and May. These types of tra transactions may impact partnering agencies after February, 2021. The agenda we received contained topics ranging from requests for expansions to to strategic projects. However, it lacked detail about project milestones and delays. As shown on page four of the report, real estate stated the lack of details was due to the sensitive and confidential nature of the transactions. We acknowledge this concern for confidentiality, but having greater documented detail of the items discussed would assist the, the division and other committee members in monitoring projects and in retaining institutional knowledge. In lieu of the committee meetings, 
the division held informal strategy meetings to keep various agency executives informed. We reviewed two agendas for the strategy meetings and noted both included more detail than the interdepartmental committee meetings, such as updates and notes for monitoring projects and milestones. We were informed these meetings would end in October 2021 and the monthly interdepartmental real estate committees meetings would resume. Because of the limited documentation available for the committee meetings and limited information contained on the one agenda, we consider this recommendation not implemented. I'd like to now open the floor for discussion of recommendation 1.2 and 1.3. Uh, Lisa, any comments from the real estate division? You're, you're on mute. Sorry about that. So point two, well, we did disagree. Um, as I stated earlier, I take the findings seriously. And so I did have conversations both with our Dottie partners and with general services. Dottie, we are constantly working to improve our process because there is a handoff process that happens. General services, um, I was surprised by it. So I did call them to understand where, um, where they had specific concerns so that we could talk through that. That is something that we've established now and set up a monthly meeting that I have with them just so that we can address their concerns and or talk through just upcoming things so that we are on the same page, separate from other standing meetings. Regarding point three, um, so one of the things we did recognize is that there was some confusion with the interdepartmental real estate meeting. Um, it is true, we do have confidential information we're sensitive to. We did recognize that we've already tried to incorporate um, more detail as the recommendation stated in the agendas. Um, to be clear still though, we do not get into true detail of project timelines at that meeting. There are very project specific meetings that are held on a project by project basis where the milestones are established and created and the dates um, are, they're checking in dates. The interdepartmental meeting is a high level one for coordination, again, so that each of our stakeholders know what's coming down the line and we can all talk about it from a resource standpoint. But we are still trying to incorporate more into the agenda. Okay, thank you. Any questions from the committee? I do have one. It seems to me that you do agree, seems like you do agree with recommendations one, 1.2 and 1.3, but you, you disagreed. So am I to assume that you do agree with the audit recommendations made by the audit office for 1.2, 1.3 and you're, and you are implementing some of, some of these recommendations on both parts by trying, to, by trying to improve communication as well as trying to provide more information on the agendas. That we you either totally agree with it or you totally disagree. And on a couple of them, we we may not feel like we can agree 100 percent but we absolutely see the value in it. So that's why if it landed on one or the other, the previous director disagreed. Thank you. Ms. Lumley, um I I, I'm just, a, it, it may be my naivete, but, and, and please correct me if my impressions are wrong, but 
in terms of maintaining agendas and what happened in meetings, regardless of how confidential the subject matter may be, I'm not quite sure that I understand why one would not keep the agenda and the meeting notices, the meeting minutes. Uh, there's nothing high tech about it. Uh, perhaps the meeting minutes uh, you know, shouldn't necessarily, in fact, probably shouldn't be circulated, but not to maintain them in writing uh, something I'm not understanding. Perhaps you could explain what I'm missing? Agendas should be kept. So we do not disagree with that and we do keep them. Um, they, in the past, were saved over is what had happened. Um, as far as the detail or the meeting minutes, our challenge is we are sometimes talking about either acquisitions um, that could have, we could be challenged in the market if that got out on what we may be considering. And or we're talking about specific agencies or smaller groups within an agency, whether that's moving or that they may have changes coming that they are not aware of yet. And, but that their uh, management team has come to us. So we wanna be sensitive that employees are not hearing about something you know, through the grapevine before there's a chance for us to work through scenarios on whether something will work or not. So we try to be sensitive to our employees on not creating a lot of unnecessary anxiety. Well, the, the, the reason I'm troubled a little is um, yeah, I'm, I'm used to being on boards and committees that are subject uh, to the open meetings laws. And um, the audit committee, uh, again today, will go into executive session on certain things. Um, but that doesn't mean that minutes are not kept. They're merely kept on a confidential basis. And coming from that environment where I recognize the confidentiality and the, and the need for certain parts of meetings or certain meetings to be confidential in general, I, I'm missing why minutes are not kept despite that. And I'm just trying to understand. I will say historically, that is just not how the committee was set up. I am happy to still go back and take a look at that and with the committee to see if there is a way for us to do something that still maintains the confidentiality we need, um, but may address your concerns. And I'm happy to at least take that back and have that discussion. Ms. Lumley, do you have any ideas in terms of how you're gonna capture that institutional knowledge as, it, as the nexus to confidentiality or have you thought about that at all? Just a question. Well, yes, definitely have thought about it. Um, what I would say is the meeting again is normally not, normally not for long-term strategic planning, that meeting. Um, it is more for our shorter term projects. So from that standpoint on institutional knowledge, it, it's kind of real time. So I don't know that, that I'm assuming that is why it really has not been contemplated and con a concern around that long term knowledge base because it's.
my screen is when mute, so. It seems like everyone froze on my screen. Yeah, it looks like it. Mine froze as well during the her during Miss Lumley's response, and she got to the point of trying to balance the two between the confidentiality as well as the uh, <clears throat> the transparency. So I'm not did sure. Did we lose Lisa? I think she did. I think she jumped off. I, I lost the connection, but I'm back now. There you are. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, my question, I don't know if Rudy, yours was uh, answered or not, but my question is, has information about a project or a transaction ever gotten out you know, prematurely that would have disrupted the project or a transaction? Yes. Could you give us an example without disclosing something? Uh... Um, I can give both in terms of there have been times where we've discussed specific parcels that may be on the market. And sometimes people get excited without realizing it. They may talk about that somewhere. But Denver is a small community when it comes to real estate sometimes. And if that gets out to the market, that the city is interested in acquiring land or a building or whatever the case may be, the price goes up very quickly. So that is something that we try to ensure that we're very thoughtful about so that we're not driving the price up ourselves just by virtue of our own interest. Um, there are times where something has been heard internally, right? And maybe not heard correctly about space moves as well. And that causes a lot of anxiety with employees if they think that they're moving. And again, it's one thing for us to strategize with our partners when we have space needs, where we're just brainstorming versus an agency hearing that the way they hear it is that they really may be moved. And so that is where the sensitivity comes in because it has happened and not intentional or you know with malice. It's just somebody was chatting with somebody else and happened to mention it. Yeah, thank you. I guess my question, uh, Ms. Lumley, is this, and, and I think your points are well taken. Um, I'm just wondering whether having the, these meetings being conducted a little bit more formally and, in fact, keeping minutes and then reiterating at the end of minutes at the end of those confidential sessions to people that this should not be discussed outside of the meeting. Um, perhaps that might instill some uh, uh, discipline on the part of the staff uh, in terms of uh, talking about it. Um, because, you know, I found that in certain kinds of meetings when they're designated as, as being uh, confidential. It's, it's very clear to all the participants uh, that people need to keep their, uh, their mouths zipped. So I, I think I, I'm just throwing that out as a thought. My commitment is that I, I want to go back, take a look at it, look at how the committee structured 
and see if there's a way that maybe we can address this a little bit differently than what we have done in the past. I will take a look. Is there some kind of an exemption from open meetings and open records for your activity? Um, I'll be honest, I don't know how, that I have an answer for that. I don't know if that falls within you know, the work product at that point um, where it, it is still not necessarily if it's work product, it's not open. Um, but I will have to check with the city attorney's office. Okay. It seems like there should be for, for a real estate transaction that's pending, but um, I'll, I'll let you check with the city attorney. I'll check. Thanks. Uh, should we continue? Caitlin? Sure. I will turn it back over to June to present the next recommendations. Thank you, Caitlin. I will now read recommendations 1.4 and 1.5 before opening the floor for discussion. On page five of the follow-up report, Recommendation 1.4 states the real estate division should include memoranda and property files to document transaction details and justifications to ensure institutional knowledge is retained. The original target date for completion was December 12, 2019. We obtained the memoranda for five randomly selected property files and found the real estate division had included a memo in each property file that included transaction details about each property that would contribute to ensuring institutional knowledge is retained. The memos reviewed also included justification for the property acquisition or disposition, including whether a city council member requested the property or whether the property helped achieve the city's goal as part of a master plan. Including this analysis to support justification for decisions increases transparency. Therefore, we consider this recommendation fully implemented. On page five of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.5 states, the real estate division should standardize the retention requirements for property file documentation, and it should develop a property file checklist that includes all documents to be retained in each file. The checklist should also include comments to note exceptions to documentation retention requirements. The original target date for completion was February 13, 2020. The real estate division developed property file checklists for acquisitions and dispositions. However, when we requested a checklist for five randomly selected properties, we found two of the five properties did not include a checklist. The three other checklists lacked comments and justifications for exceptions. In addition, only one checklist mentioned a completed memorandum to document transaction details and justifications as referenced in recommendation 1.4. As written on page six of the report, without a complete property file checklist, documentation may be inconsistently retained across projects, which may lead to non-compliance with procedures and possible loss of institutional knowledge and historical property information. Because of the inconsistencies with both of the implementation of the checklist and their completion, we consider this recommendation not implemented. To receive a fully implemented for this recommendation, the division would need to include and use the checklist for all property files. I would now like to open the floor for discussion of recommendations 1.4 and 1.5. Uh, Lisa, do you have anything to add at this point? Um, with 1.5, what I would say is, while we felt like we had implemented it, I did find the two checklists that were missing. 
um, which was a problem that I've addressed. Um, with the checklists that were considered incomplete, what I realized was they may not necessarily have been incomplete, but the way the checklist was crafted, it was structured so that it could be used for an acquisition or a disposition. And which meant you didn't have to fill out a box if it was only for dispositions and you were doing an acquisition. But to look at the checklist, it might have looked incomplete. So we have already addressed this finding um, and changed it and changed in our policies and procedures. We've split it out so there is a separate checklist for acquisitions and a separate specific checklist for dispositions so that it is very clear then um, what the team should be checking and how they, they review um, the checklist at the end of the project. Thank you. Um, any questions from the committee? <clears throat> I just have one. How often do you plan on revisiting the checklist for acquisition and disposition? Because, right. it, because it changes, because we have set, everything changes so quickly, especially with the inflation that we're experiencing now. What we are trying to do is make sure that either our contract administrator or myself is checking every file before they're closed out. So that is at the end of the day, that is how we're trying to ensure it. Thank you. Yeah. Other questions? Shall we continue? At this time, I will now turn it back over to Caitlin to present our next recommendations. Thank you, June. I will now read recommendations 1.6, 1.7, and 1.8 before opening the floor for discussion. On page six of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.6 states the real estate division should establish a standardized data entry and file naming convention for real estate transactions across all methods of retaining documentation. The original target date for completion was February 12, 2020. The real estate division established a documented policy and created a standardized naming convention for its property files. We reviewed six real estate projects to determine if this naming convention was properly implemented. Overall, we found project folders and documents complied with the division's naming convention policy, although the division did not rename files before the implementation date due to the time-consuming nature of renaming older files. While changes may be time-consuming, consistent implementation of the division's file naming convention helps ensure current and future staff can easily locate documents for all property files. Because the department did not rename files prior to February 2020, we consider this recommendation partially implemented. On page 7 of the follow-up report, Recommendation 1.7 states the real estate division should establish and document a records retention policy to ensure compliance with the city's records management policy and records retention schedule. While the real estate division disagrees with this recommendation in the original report, we learned the division did add a statement to its policies and procedures, noting the division adheres to the city's records retention schedule. However, the division's policies and procedures still do not detail the division's process for ensuring it complies with the city's record management policy and records retention schedule. Without having the division's own documented policy and procedure, key real estate staff may not have an established understanding of how to manage records retention tasks and the timeframes involved. On page eight of the follow-up report, Recommendation 1.8 states the real estate division should develop and maintain a comprehensive real estate portfolio. Information in the portfolio should include, but not be limited to, date of acquisition or disposition, leases, managing agency, 
acquisition or disposition price, reason for acquisition or disposition, total acreage or square footage, occupied square footage, approving ordinance or resolution. While the division disagreed with this recommendation in the original report, we learned the division did take steps to develop and maintain a real estate portfolio. The division developed a spreadsheet to serve as its portfolio to track city property and also added an interactive map on its website. We reviewed the spreadsheet and the website and found both contain the same information, but the information is incomplete. For example, neither the spreadsheet nor the website includes the date of acquisition or disposition, the price, the reason for acquisition or disposition, occupied square footage, or the approving ordinance or resolution. Continuing on to page nine, division management said that spreadsheet and website information, such as occupied square footage, will be updated annually and as transactions occur. However, without a documented comprehensive real estate portfolio that contains all necessary information, the division cannot be assured its actions are in the best interest of the city. When we spoke to, to the Department of General Services regarding real estate's project coordination related to its efforts to implement recommendation 1.2, general services leaders said they would benefit from having access to real estate's portfolio to help with their budget decisions. Details general services staff said they would find beneficial include the address, basic floor plan, the occupying agency, the occupied square footage, the total square footage, and whether a property is leased, leased to own, or owned. As of our follow-up, general services did not have this access, meaning general services staff must continue to do their own research of city property. This wastes taxpayer money and city resources. I'd like to now open the floor for discussion of recommendations 1.6, 1.7, and 1.8. Um, <clears throat> could I ask Lisa if you would like to comment further on those recommendations? So, so with one point, I think 1.6, um, I think for the Mimi conventions, <clears throat> for, I'll be honest, there was never a discussion. So we may have made the mistake of an assumption. We never discussed going back decades to try and rename files. Um, when we went through our lease audit a couple of years ago, it was agreed to at that point that as we were talking about naming conventions with leases, that we would do it on a going forward basis of that date. So that's why we thought we had implemented and did not realize that um, or understand that the audit committee had expected us to go backwards, honestly, through hundreds of files. Um, that, that would be tough, I would admit. Um, regarding recommendation um, 1.7. This is a recommendation that we've already addressed and defined in our portfolio. So we, um, once we saw the recommendation and the finding, we understood where it was felt there was still a gap. So we have corrected that and added who will be reviewing it um, and how often. With 1.8, um, this is another one where we may not have totally disagreed, but we couldn't say that we agreed with it either. Um, on a couple levels. First, we do have a portfolio um, and an understanding of our portfolio. It is in a couple different spreadsheets and that is correct. Um, our hope and excitement again is that Archibus will allow us to put it all in a central database. So for the moment, we work with the tools that we have. With the interactive map, um, we have to rely on our tech service partners as well to help us with the amount of information that they can easily tie to buildings when we have it out there on the public website. 
So those are things that we're still working through um, and working towards with ARCABUS as well. And I think, did I get the cover that? I think that was the last one. Okay, thank you. Uh, questions from the committee? Should we continue? If no questions, I'll turn it back over to June. Thank yes. you. On page 12 of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.9 states the real estate division should review the clearance and release requirements in executive order number 100's memorandum 100B and ensure division policies and procedures are consistent with the executive order. Specifically, that memorandum 100B does not include a statement regarding an automatic approval after 15 days with no response. The original target date for completion was February 20th, 2020. While the real estate division updated the clearance and release policies and procedures, the update resulted in contradicting information regarding the automatic approval of clearance and release parcels after 15 days with no response. One section of the division's policies and procedures said, when no response is received, it is not a deemed it is not deemed approved. But then later it states that consistent with the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure and Excella process, non-response is assumed to mean approved. Continuing on page 13 of the report, we sampled and compared clearance and release parcels to the requirements outlined in the division's policies and procedures and found the division obtained written approval for each parcel and did not automatically give approval after 15 days with no response. However, because the division's policies and procedures still do not align with executive order number 100's memorandum 100B and includes contradicting information regarding the automatic approval after 15 days with no response, we consider this recommendation not implemented. I would now like to open the floor for discussion of this recommendation. Uh, Lisa, any comments before we open the floor? Whatever typo was there that conflicted with the 15-day lack of response, we've corrected that. Um, what I will say is we, within the clearance and release process, until about 15, 18 months ago, we would send individual emails out to individual people. What we found was working with Dottie through their Acela program, which is used on a number of other approval type things throughout the city for documents and projects. That way we standardized it so that we were doing it similar to other agencies in the review process. And we were ensuring that if somebody left the city, their replacement was within the Acela program. Acela and Dottie drive the 15 day no response means approval. So what we have committed is the next time the executive order is opened, we will go ahead and revise it. The, like I said, the executive order itself is silent. It doesn't say one way or another. Our policies and procedures is where we had the typo. Um, so it's a matter of just the next time the executive order is opened. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Questions from the committee? Uh, June? Uh, if there's no other questions, I will go ahead and turn it back over to Caitlin to go over the next recommendation. Thank you, June. Okay. On page 13 of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.10 states the real estate division should work with the controller's office to formalize and document reporting requirements, including the frequency of reporting and the method of communication. 
requirement should specify the points of information for each property necessary for accurate reporting by the controller's office. The original target date for completion was June 30th, 2020. We found the real estate division adequately reports acquisitions and dispositions to the controller's office. According to the division's policies and procedures, the controller's office must be notified upon the city acquiring or disposing of a property. However, the policies and procedures do not contain information on when the controller's office needs to be notified of a transaction or the information to include in the notification for accurate reporting. Continuing on page 13 of the report, we analyzed three emails the division sent to the controller's office in 2021 and found the division was notified the controller's office of acquisition and disposition transactions. However, the notifications were not sent to the controller's office in a timely manner. Notifications were sent a month or several months after the transaction had occurred. Not having a documented process for regularly and consistently reporting real estate inventory to the controller's office may result in inaccurate financial reporting and potential over or understatement of capital assets. Although the division notifies the controller's office after each transaction, the division's policies and procedures should include the information required in each notification and when a notification needs to be sent to help ensure accurate and timely reporting to the controller's office. Therefore, we consider this recommendation not implemented. I'd like to now open the floor for discussion of this recommendation. Uh, Lisa. So it is true that we have been notifying the controller's office. We do do that. We used to do it annually and we had updated it to doing it um, after every transaction. What we have done based on this recommendation though is we have worked with the controller's office to create a form and the form then it's a standardized form versus the email notifications we used to send out. Um, the form is sent, they receive it twice. It would be after a transaction and then we do it annually. We give a list of everything that we have transacted throughout the year. <clears throat> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any questions from the committee? Yes, Ms. Lonley, when you said twice, right after the transaction, is that the second time, is that at the end of the calendar year? Yes, Cal yes, the end of the calendar year. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, should we continue? At this time, I'll turn it back over to June to present the next recommendations. Thank you, Caitlin. I will now read recommendations 1.11 to 1.13 before opening the floor for discussion. On page 14 of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.11 states the real estate division should implement a formal process to regularly review and update the division's policies and procedures. This should include ensuring policies and procedures are consistent with executive order number 100 and include changes as Archibus is implemented for space for the space planning team. The policies and procedures should also contain adequate detail of the division's role performed for various transactions, including those not initiated by the division. The original target date for completion was May 31st, 2020. Since the original audit, the real estate division updated policies and procedures to include a quarterly review, but they do not thoroughly explain the review process. Continuing on page 14 of the report, we reviewed and compared the division's policies and procedures to executive order and found they aligned and provided adequate detail of the division's roles in various transactions, with the exception of the clearance and release policy discussed in recommendation 1.9. 
In addition, we compared two versions of the division's policies and procedures to ensure compliance with the review process and found it was unclear when certain changes were made between the versions and who reviewed and approved the changes to the current version. This caused a lack of assurance that the division does conduct the reviews each quarter. Because of this, we consider this recommendation partially implemented. To ensure better transparency, the division should include more details about the review process and its policies and procedures and implement a spreadsheet to track and date all changes and updates made during quarterly reviews. On page 15 of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.12 states, the real estate division should develop and implement a strategic plan to ensure the city's real estate needs can be anticipated and addressed in accordance with the division's stated purpose under executive order number 100. The division should consider using examples from other city real estate organizations. The original target date for completion was December 31st, 2020. The division developed a documented strategic plan that includes basic elements such as a vision, principles, identification of the city real estate needs and plans to address those needs, but overall lacked detailed information related to items such as property value assessment, and annual operating costs. In line with recommendation 1.13, the division's strategic plan includes key performance measures such as land acquired, land sold, and land leased for affordable housing opportunities, but lacks elements such as fiscal sustainability, realized savings, and collaboration efforts to measure success in meeting the needs of the city. While the division developed and implemented a strategic plan, improvements could be made to add more performance measures and make the plan accessible to the public on the division's website to ensure transparency and justifications for the decisions it makes. Therefore, we consider this recommendation partially implemented. On page 16 of the follow-up report, recommendation 1.13 states the real estate division should develop and track performance measures to evaluate the division's success ensure these performance measures align with the division's strategic plan, as noted under recommendation 1.12. The real estate division should consider using best practices and examples from other city real estate organizations. The original target date for completion was December 31st, 2020. We compare the division's performance measures to other city real estate organizations and found a lack of more quantitative performance measures as outlined in the original audit report. In lieu of quantitative performance measures, the division reinstated customer satisfaction surveys to gauge consistency with its strategic goals. These surveys are focused on the service provided by one staff member, not the whole division. Continuing on page 16 of the report, division management did not establish response or success rates for the survey and relied only on negative responses to indicate dissatisfaction or areas for improvement. At the time of this follow-up, there were no negative responses received, therefore no improvements were made. The division should consider adding a section to its survey to address the collaboration effort efforts with other agencies, specifically project management and communication with each agency, to provide a more well-rounded evaluation of how the division can improve overall. Because the division is not effectively evaluating its success towards meeting its strategic goals, we consider this recommendation not implemented. 
This concludes our presentation of the City Real Estate Portfolio Practices follow-up audit. I would now like to open the floor for discussion of these recommendations. Lisa, any comment on those last recommendations? Sure. So um, I just want to make sure I'm starting at the right place. 1.11? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, so we have already um, addressed this recommendation and uh, defined it in our policies and procedures. We were updating it, but we have clarified that we update it semi-annually. Um, the review is only and the approvals are through me. Um, and I am the one that signs off on that each time. Um, we have developed a form that we are using for submittal of any changes to the policy and procedures. Any questions on that? 1.12. So over the last few years, not related to the audit, I've spoken to a number of other real estate directors in our sister cities. And what is noticeable is that from a real estate perspective, we are all structured very differently in our roles and how we carry out our responsibilities, um, which includes how we're funded, which drives a lot of what we do. We wrote the strategic plan so that we could be very specific in supporting Denver's citywide initiatives within the role that real estate has. Um, that includes parks acquisitions, that includes host um, sheltering and affordable housing. Regarding the performance measures, I can jump to that then in 1.13. Um, we are always looking for ways to improve. As I've said earlier, we take this seriously. Um, we wanna look for ways to measure our success and we developed our performance measurements actually very similar to Toronto. So our performance measurements do include the number of acres we acquire for parks, the number of shelter beds that we are acquiring for emergency sheltering, the land that we acquired or sold for host for affordable housing. It is the number of new and modified leases, um, revenue realized annually, and then our annual customer survey, which I just made notes, we have not sent it yet. We can still make revisions to that on a department-wide basis. Um, the suggested, a couple of the suggested performance measurements regarding assessed property value and annual operating or capital expenses are not under the purview of real estate. And that is why we would not have incorporated those into our performance measurements. Okay, thank you. Any questions from the committee? I do have one question really quickly in terms of of implementing the monitoring performance uh, <clears throat> measures. Do you have any discussions like, I, I know you do, but uh, what type of discussions do you have with the mayor in terms of helping you formulate what type of performance measures to monitor during the year? Through the mayor himself? Well, the mayor's staff, you know. What I would say is there are conversations, yes. Do we take the list of performance measurements and submit them for review or approval? No, I did not do that, but we certainly through, up through the Department of Finance itself, we make sure that it aligns with our Department of Finance strategic plan, um, which is then aligning again with mayor initiatives and citywide initiatives. The only reason I ask that is because everything is pretty fluid and things change and I, I see the one day homelessness is a big issue. The next day, park acquisitions are open space. So it, it just keeps changing. That's why we want to stay on top of uh, a changing environment. Yeah, 
Thank you. I agree. I think we recognize in our group and Department of Finance that, that a strategic plan is fluid and it needs to adapt and adjust as the city changes and grows as well. Um, so these are our priorities and our performance measurements for now within the world that we live in. So are those available on your website or? They will be. They will be. And what I will say is in light of Archibus coming online, there are a couple other things that we've already been working on that we would like to put on the website, but I need to make sure that we are, are the information that we'll be able to capture easily back to technology again, that can go straight to the website versus creating specific documents for the website. But yes, we are looking at a couple other ways to represent either the strategic plan, which lists the performance measurements within it, as well as some other benchmarking, um, for lack of a better term, that can go on the website annually. And I will just say that's right now just a work in progress. All right. Okay, any other comments from the committee? Any closing comments from Department of Finance? Lisa? It was, it was an opportunity for us to, I think, grow in a good way um, and tighten up and, and just be a stronger division because of this. Well, thank you. I appreciate your uh, comments this morning. I feel, I feel like you're doing more than, I don't know, we thought you were doing when we first uh, released the report uh, on the real estate division. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next on our agenda is follow-up on the airport's cybersecurity operations and a briefing on the Network Operations Center. Um, Dawn, do you have an opening remark or two? Um, yes, yes, I do. Thank you, Auditor O'Brien. So this is another assessment completed as part of our cybersecurity audit series, if you're reading our audit plans. Um, our assessments cover many areas of the city, including the airport. Um, I cannot stress enough the importance of this work in the ever-changing information technology environment that we all live and work in. Um, we often read about cyber attacks in many different industries, including government, that can have severe, costly, and lasting effects. Um, what we read about is only a fraction of the attacks that occur, and that is why our work in this area is so important. Um, we have a continuous focus on these risks. Um, the team is here to share some of that work with you today, so I'm just going to pass it over to Jared, and he can get uh, the briefing started with his team. Thank you. Uh, Jared, before you start, uh, Chris Larravee, I see you're on the call. I, I trust you're here representing the airport. Would you like to introduce yourself and the people from the airport? Sure. With you? Sure. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, actually, I'll turn it over to Juan Lucero um, to introduce himself first. Yeah, hello. I'm Juan Lucero, and I am the uh, acting senior vice president of technologies here at the airport. Thanks, Juan. So uh, next, I'll introduce myself. I'm Chris Larvey. I'm our Chief Information Security Officer here at the airport. Uh, I've invited two additional team members to join us today. We have a, a, a new, two new roles or two people in new roles at the airport. Uh, one is a compliance manager, Amphan uh, Hyam-Payne, um, who's joined us, and Chris Mitchell, who's our Information Security Manager. Uh, this is their first audit committee, so we're really trying to use this as an opportunity to expose them to you know, kind of the audit process and the committee and the value that it brings. So they're, they're primarily here just to observe, um, but 
that that's our team. Well, welcome and thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jared? Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, as Don mentioned today, we are going to brief you on the results of our airport cybersecurity operations follow-up audit, which was published earlier this year. Uh, our team included Nick Jimroglu, Lead Information Systems Auditor, Rob Farrell, Senior Auditor, Dave Hancock, Senior Auditor, and myself, Jared Miller, Information Systems Audit Manager. Um, I do want to thank the airport for their collaboration and teamwork during this follow-up process. And I will now turn it over to Nick to walk us through the follow-up. Thank you, Jared. Uh, cybersecurity is the protection of information or preserving the integrity, confidentiality, and availability of information on things like network systems and applications. Cyber attacks can destroy data containing confidential information and cause financial losses. A cybersecurity operation, otherwise known as a security operations center, is a centralized team dedicated to monitoring and responding to cybersecurity threats across the airport. In September 2019, the Auditor's Office partnered with CP Cyber to conduct an audit over Denver International Airport's Security Operations Center. The objective of the original audit was to determine the effectiveness of the airport's cybersecurity processes, policies, and governance. In this audit, we had issued six recommendations to Denver International Airport's Business Technologies Department. Earlier this year, in June 2021, the Auditor's Office performed follow-up testing on these six recommendations. Business Technologies fully implemented four recommendations made in our original audit report, but two have yet to be fully implemented or acted upon. Recommendation 1.1 states that the airport's chief information officer should share information such, a, such as successful processes, identified risks, cybersecurity tools, and other data that could be integrated with the city's or business technology's cybersecurity operations on a semi-annual basis with the city's information security team. In our follow-up, we determined this recommendation has been fully implemented. After reviewing communications and meeting minutes, we found that business technologies and the city's technology services staff have been holding a series of collaboration meetings that have helped to improve information technology and cybersecurity. Recommendation 1.2 states that the, the airport's chief information officer should formalize and document information security team involvement and processes for communicating with airport managers who monitor third-party contracts. In our follow-up, we determined this recommendation has not been implemented. The original target date for completion was scheduled for November 2019. The intent of the recommendation was for the airport to formalize and document its role in communicating with airport managers who monitor third-party contracts. However, we found that the airport has not formalized, documented, or established a process to do so. Recommendation 1.3 states that the airport's chief information officer should formalize cybersecurity operations communications on a weekly basis between managers and the airport's business technology teams. In our follow-up, we determined this recommendation has been fully implemented. We found that business technologies has formalized cybersecurity operations communications between its managers 
by providing weekly comprehensive presentations. These presentations detail the number of security events that have occurred, trending statistics, and event details from prior weeks. I'll pause for a sec. Um, does the audit committee or business technologies have any questions or comments? Any questions or comments? I do have a comment uh, or question on uh, the on number uh, 1.2, which is, hasn't been hasn't been fully implemented. I'm just wondering what are what are the challenges in terms of trying to monitor third party contracts? I, seems to me like it would be easily implemented in the sense that you're trying to convey to them these are the steps that we want to make sure to ensure that we're monitoring third yeah. yeah, so I think um, the, the audit finding in and of itself is really about establishing lines of communication in a formalized process uh, with the airport security managers of contracts. Um, you know, they, they perform most of the performance management as far as the contracts themselves. Uh, our role is to really uh, help express concerns or issues that have popped up in their environment. Um, it, 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 we had some challenges uh, over the course of the year and really establishing a a good validated process that we have documented. Uh, we have a, a formal process that we follow uh, and it's it's for incidents and, and the audit report really focuses on incidents, but it's also for, for uh, vulnerabilities that are present in the environment. So um, for instance, I'm sure many of you are aware of the news that there's been a, a recently disclosed vulnerability in some uh, technology that uh, is pretty pervasive across most organizations. Uh, we were able to, to execute upon our informal process, uh, making sure that the airport managers were aware and that their contractors were uh, able to inform us if they had the risks, um, the vulnerabilities that were present, or whether we were able to close those out, and if, if they were present, what their, what their remediation plan was. So informally, we have a, a decent process, um, but we, we did struggle a bit with establishing contract with folks uh, throughout 2020. Um, <laughs> as uh, there was a lot of turnover, not only within our department, but in, in the airport uh, contracting groups as well um, with the pandemic. Um, so, I, you know, I would say we, we have an informal process, but we would absolutely agree we need to formalize that process um, in our and in, in make it something that we can pull out and use instead of using our, our, our standard informal process. Um, so uh, it really there's, um, just some opportunity there to formalize and codify the process, I think. Thank you. That's that's the response I would expect. Appreciate it. Okay, should we continue? Okay. Um, so three more recommendations. Uh, recommendation 1.4 states that the airport's chief information officer should establish a process to ensure security operations center contractors with access to sensitive data sign a non-disclosure agreement upon hire. In our follow-up, we determined this recommendation has been fully implemented. At the time of follow-up, there were no contractors. However, we did find that Business Technologies has developed an on and off-boarding form that requires a non-disclosure agreement for contracted employees. Uh, does uh, the Audit Committee or Business Technologies have any comments on that? Let's proceed then. Okay. Recommendation 1.5 states that the airport's chief information officer should establish a process to ensure all security operations center policies and procedures are approved and updated annually. 
In our follow-up, we determined this recommendation has been fully implemented. We found that Business Technologies has developed the policy titled Business Technology Document Standards, which requires all documents to have an annual review. In the original audit, there was a policy that was missing approval. In our follow-up, we found that this policy now includes that approval. Any questions or comments on that? I don't see any, why don't we continue? Okay. And final recommendation 1.6 states that the airport's chief information officer should improve the lesson learned step in the security operations center incident response process that formally documents how an incident occurred, where it originated from, whether the incident has spread to other devices in the network and how it could be avoided in the future. In our follow-up, we determined this recommendation has not been implemented. The original target date for completion was scheduled for October, 2019. Business Technologies informed us that each incident is followed up on. However, we found that the incident management process has not been updated with the language to formalize lessons learned. Um, are there any questions or comments on that recommendation? Chris, do you have any comments on the yeah. implemented status? Yeah, I, I do. Um, so we, we actually thought we had implemented this. Um, and uh, we had gone through a process where uh, we, we went through two managers of this team uh, over the course of, of when the uh, uh, audit concluded and when the follow-up audit was initiated um, and, and felt that we had pretty well addressed this in the documentation. Um, however, um, the, the analysts that are doing the work did not know about this. Um, and so we clearly did not do what we needed to do. Um, and we would agree that this is a, a rightful, not implemented adjudication of the recommendation. Um, we, we, we have, uh, it, it was spoken to in one of the previous findings that about, we've been very lax over the years in policy and documentation and, and review of those things <clears throat> over the course of time, which is part of the reason we've, we've added a compliance function to our team to make sure that we, we go through this documentation, we sign off on it, we make sure that if we have any existing audit findings, that information is being incorporated um, to make, to, to actually have somebody monitoring this as opposed to individuals that are, that are um, responsible for doing it and taking their word that it's been done and, and finding out an audit that it hasn't been done the way we thought it had been done. So, so we, I, I believe we, we've got now in place a department that's going to help us achieve or maintain a level of compliance with both the audit findings and just uh, in general, our policy and procedure management within the division. Um, so while it is it was not implemented uh, at the time of the uh, follow-up audit, uh, I feel that now we, we do have that process in place to ensure that the next time it's checked, it will be compliant. Terrific. Um, any questions from the committee before we move on? Nick? Um, that's it for, for the SOC uh, security operations. I'm going to pass it over to CP Cyber now to talk about the Network Operations Center. Uh, Bill or Brian or Johnny, who's going to take I can I can kick us off, Tim. This is okay. Jared again. All right. Thank you. So for this audit, uh, we once again worked with the airport's business technologies team uh, regarding risks involving information security and cybersecurity. Uh, CP Cyber, our third-party experts in cybersecurity, uh, conducted the assessment on our behalf, uh, which included the following team members. Bill Everett, partner. Donald McLaughlin, lead consultant. 
Brian Cather, lead consultant, and Tristan Neat, associate consultant. Um, and from our office, we had Karen Dowdy, lead information systems auditor, and myself again, Jared Miller, information systems audit manager. Um, now I can pause and we can turn it back to the airport for any further introductions or opening comments. Uh, we have, you okay? Yeah, we have no, no further. All right, let's proceed. So um, I'm going to go over the uh, background uh, for Denver International Airport. Denver International Airport is the third busiest airport in the United States and the eighth busiest airport in the world. In 2019, uh, 69 million passengers traveled through the airport. Because of COVID-19 pandemic, passenger traffic declined in 2020 to almost 35 million. However, airport officials expect passenger traffic to rebound and reach 100 million passengers sometime between 2030 and 2035. The airport, which is owned and operated by the city and county of Denver, operates like a business. It generates more than $33 billion um, for the region annually and employs almost 33,000 people. The business technologies division um, uh, continues to address emerging risks involving information security and cybersecurity. Denver International Airport's Business Technologies Division is responsible for managing and safeguarding the airport's network and technology equipment, including data and infrastructure that provides services to airport operations, airlines, other business partners, and passengers. While many individuals make this technology possible, two teams within the within the division are instrumental in managing and securing the network, the Network Operations Center and the Security Operations Center. The Network Operations Center uh, acts as the backbone for an organization's network infrastructure. It is often tasked with managing and controlling one or more networks and the technology that resides on those networks. Some of the technology a Network Operations Center may manage include servers, switches, routers, firewalls, databases, and wireless systems. Staff in the Network Operations Center receive alerts from a variety of monitoring systems. By monitoring and responding to these alerts, the Network Operations Center provides continuous monitoring for network-related uh, abnormalities, such as critical events or incidents, which might include power outages or network failures, configurations to hardware, port management, or even indicators of compromised network devices. Similar to a network operations center, a security operations center is a team organized to detect, analyze, respond to, and report on cybersecurity incidents within an enterprise network. Both the network operations center and the security operations center monitor the security of an organization. As such, if there's an alert or indication of compromise, these two teams collaborate to investigate and respond quickly. Staff in both the Network Operations Center and the Security Operations Center should have an established understanding of their roles and streamlined communication protocols to efficiently respond to potential cybersecurity and network-related incidents. Next slide. The National Institute of Standards and Technologies is a laboratory and non-regulatory 
federal agency within the U.S. Department of Commerce and a leading organization in developing cybersecurity guidance, provides a framework of standards, controls, and guidance on best practices for managing and securing information systems. The agency notes that organizations must select and implement appropriate security and privacy controls to address their own set of risks. As shown here, this cybersecurity framework defines five categories, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Denver International Airport's Network Operations Center and its Security Operations Center are involved in each of these steps. The airport's cybersecurity program continues to improve with ongoing development of security controls implemented and maintained by these two teams. The National Institute of Standards and Technology recommends key considerations for improving the effectiveness of a network operations center. The federal agency says managing risk is a complex multifaceted undertaking. Therefore, it is critical for a network operations center to do the following. Define a security strategy, obtain quality information systems that provide trustworthy, accurate information, adhere to best practices of asset management, integrate security into its systems, document these efforts, and monitor security controls to ensure they operate effectively. By following the federal guidance, the airport's national or network operations center will continue to effectively identify risk, protect the organization, detect events, respond in a timely manner, and recover assets back to operational status when services are disrupted. And that concludes the presentation. Any questions, comments? Any comments from uh, the airport? Uh, we, we don't have any comments at this time. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, the next item is general business. Uh, next audit committee is scheduled for Thursday, January the 20th. It will be virtual. I regret to say that it will be virtual, but until you know, the numbers are in the right places. Um, we're gonna have to be virtual. Uh, with that, I'd like to adjourn into executive session to discuss some confidential audit topics as well as um, our annual evaluation of the independent auditors. So I would accept a motion to go into executive session. I so move. Thank Second. You. Thank you. Any discussion? All in favor of the motion, say aye. 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 I think that's two-thirds. Um, okay, we're in executive session as soon as that recording light goes out. Recording stopped.